Welcome to TPQ20, where we go beyond the page with poets about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. I'm Courtney Marglin. And I'm Chris Marglin. Let's expand the conversation. Uh, yo! Hey. Hey. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It's going all right. Can you hear us okay? Uh, yeah, I can. <clears throat> Perfect. Perfect. Loving the beard. The, uh, the beard game is going strong. Indeed, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I left mine off today. <laughs> But I'm going to work on it later. So I'm Chris. And I'm Courtney. Uh, thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today on TPQ20. Uh, we always like to start off by saying uh, we know who you are, but our audience may not. So if you were to kind of give your elevator pitch of who you are, um, who are you? Uh, word. Hey, everybody. My name is Julian Randall. I'm the author of Refuse and most recently uh, Pilar Ramirez and the Escape from Zafa, which is a middle grade uh, contemporary fantasy is dropping on March 1st. Um, from Chicago, my pronouns are he and they and I'm black. I think that's everything. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Wonderful. We were just looking at uh, your middle school um, book that's coming out and we're so excited. At- we- we both, uh, this is my, this is my 18th year teaching. Uh, I teach seventh grade English. Oh, um, and yeah, and Courtney spent, Courtney spent over a decade teaching middle school as well. So we, uh, we had, we saw that and we were really, we were both really excited about, about that one. So we'll definitely, we'll definitely chat about that a little bit too. For sure. So that kind of takes us into our first area, which is passions. So we'd love to hear, um, of course, about your literary passions, but also a little bit about outside of the world of literature. What are some of um, those passions that drive your heart? And um, what are those things that are kind of um, firing your heart these days? Where? Uh, yeah, no, that's a great question. I So, okay, the context is that like near, I don't know, an hour ago, maybe less, I sent off the manuscript for my fourth book, which is a like, collection of essays. Uh, that's very exciting. Ooh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Oh, that's it. wonderful. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. So if I'm, a, if I'm coming off like a tiny bit low energy, it's mostly because I just kind of hauled that shit out. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> okay. Thank you but, for sharing that with us. I feel so blessed. Thank you. I read it. Y'all have wonderful energy. Um, yeah. So like, I think that in writing that and like having this opportunity to kind of, uh, you know, there's, there's autobiographical, like kind of like personal notes in there that are like running alongside these uh, meditations on like pop culture and like kind of moments of encounter as we're contrasting that with the time that I was spending in Mississippi, uh, tracking down my great grandfather's records and his grave and whatnot. Um, And I think that just like in looking at all of that, I've been able to look at uh, just like, what are are those passions? I think that uh, one of the essays is kind of set up in like a big screenplay format and I was like wow actually that's that was one of those like first things like I come from slam but I started I think really thinking about being a writer from like watching tv and so I watch a lot of tv 
I often utilize it uh, as a way of like kind of explaining things I don't necessarily know the like quote unquote real term for. But I will say something like, yeah, it's like an establishing shot paragraph or like this is a tracking shot sentence, which really means that that shit just goes on for pages and pages and pages. <laughs> Um, so I think about that and I also think about how much I've been thinking a lot about, uh, that I was a high school athlete. And I think now that I am like 10 ish years removed from that experience, give or take, uh, just reassessing all of the ways that it kind of informs the way that I go about my day, um, and how much of that helpful how much of that is something to grow or like augment uh and so yeah I think that I just I, I still keep up I'm still like a pretty pretty solid sports fan uh I'm a Bears fan to, to the core always and forever uh Bulls I'm fan tell you that I'm a Vikings fan then and you know what like I have <laughs> I, I actually did uh I went to high school or like part part of high school in Minnesota so I have an affection for Viking fans by and large. <laughs> like, so like anyone who's not a Packers fan, y'all are cool. <laughs> it's there we really go. <laughs> genuinely just like, it's all smoke for Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> so yeah, I think that those are like some of the passions that I want to, I don't want to eat up all the rest of the question. Do you do you ever find because I think you you kind of brought up like a, that that idea of, of television and kind of like scene setting do you ever find that that kind of sneaks its way into your poetry or did it sneak its way into your essay writing where maybe there is that breaking of the fourth wall where uh, you get kind of a scene change or you get some type of, you know, uh, you know, um, tracking of where things should be? Oh yeah, for sure. For sure. I think that like the best example of this is when I was first starting to write uh, fiction or trying to teach myself how to write fiction, which was, 2018 or so, uh, A, was the fact that uh, Kiyose Lehman, like, God bless him, <laughs> uh, took time out of any, what must have been the busiest schedule in the world at that point. Like, this is right as heavy came out, and somehow he managed to find time to read 80 pages of, like, a novel that I had to shelve. Uh, and he he'd read that John through twice by the time that I got there. And so there I was in the office one night and he's like, tell me how you did this. And I was like, what do you, like, what do you mean? How did I do this? I, 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 I opened Word and then I <laughs> one key and then another key. And he's like, no, 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 like walk me through it. Cause you ain't never taken no fiction class. Like, I'm, like I want to make it clear, like, <laughs> this is good. I'm not saying this cause you're in trouble or I'm trying to be mean and I'm like, well, I'm genuinely just curious, like how did you do this? So, oh, well, I kind of like learned from like the story structure from like watching TV and whatnot. And thinking about like those problems, it's like, see, now that makes sense because your pen kind of moves like a camera moves. Like you jump to places rather than like you jump to places, there's like cutaways, like long spaces of time where you're kind of giving background on various characters. And so it ends up coming mm -hmm. off a little character sketchy, but, uh, and that's just not the way that novels are typically written, but it doesn't mean that you did that shit wrong. And I was like, bet, 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 bet. And like that honestly helped an enormous amount in terms of like him showing me like, this is how typically like people anchor these things in the scene. 
and then we get that. So you really just need to find like some criteria in here that gives you an opportunity to give like Julius's backstory or something to that effect. So there's that. And then also uh, once people started at, once I was doing enough like multi-genre work that people were asking me about like how the multi-genre work like kind of functions and what that, uh, my typical response to the main question, which is like, what is the difference for you between fiction and poetry? is that for me, like poems are kind of like documentary filmmaking whereas, versus like fiction is kind of more like stop motion filmmaking. Mm. Like if you, for, po like for poems, the thing that I'm kind of trained to do, right? The way that I typically end up kind of shaping those out is I wanna find the most po interesting possible angle for the viewer and then just kind of like waiting for things to pass through that. And once something interesting or surprising happens, go follow that thing. Mm, Versus like, like stop motion, like all of those characters are in that space and it takes forever to move them across the room or get them over here or get them over there. But if you don't move those little like clay puppet figurine things, they will be exactly where you left them when you came back. Blocking <laughs> um, is a bitch. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, I think that it's definitely, uh, those are ways that my uh, bootleg film education. <laughs> well, you... I love that, Anna. That That is such a beautiful way of saying that about poetry, that it's like a documentary, and I, I understand that perfectly. Thank you for that. Well, and, what a gift. And then along with that, do you feel since you did kind of come into poetry via slam um do you feel then that when you write um that writing for stage is more i guess the question is this is there a difference then when you're writing a piece that's going to be a stage piece versus a page piece are you in your head thinking about anything other than what the what the words are on page does it become a performance of that piece then Huh, that's an interesting question. I think that definitely used to be more my experience with it. I think that like informally retired from slam <laughs> in some, like I mean like this it's just a shorthand for I honestly feel like all slam poems are form poems of a tip like general shape of a slam poem is not especially dissimilar to like some principles that we hold to be sacred about the sonnet. There is right. a length requirement. There is a moment that the poem has to turn at one point or another. I think that in, this is a little bit tangential to your question, but I think that it also affected my relationship with humor in my work for a long time. Oh. Because you come through like a million slam poems that kind of start off jokey and then, and then like, I don't know, you, you, start, you start to be able to hear what's being set up and it made me a little bit mistrustful mm -hmm. of what humor can do in a poem setting. So I think that I stopped uh, valuing that quite as much. So uh, it, it didn't really resurface until Amy Nezuka Matado was like teasing me just a little bit because she was on my thesis committee about like, you are joking every time you come in here. It's like wall-to-wall like -wall jokes. And then I open your poems and it is, it's nowhere. What, 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 yeah, right. is, what is the deal behind that? Uh, so I think that that also became part of how I understood 
poem on page performance, how do I manifest this? Because I think that I'm not, I did not yet know how to curate comedic timing if I was not going to be there to be the one who was timing it. I like that. That's a good way to think about that. That, that idea of that timing, because it is, like I've had, a, I've had conversations with people before about how like stand-up comedy and slam poetry mm-hmm. um, really are kind of the comes. same. Yeah, like you've got to have, yeah, exactly. That's, and that's what I haven't thought about that in years. That's a really, it's a really cool way to think about, think about those. Um, so you have been in this, uh, in this poetry world for quite a while now. Uh, what do you think have been like those those big pitfalls uh, and stumbling blocks along the way for you? And you know how have you overcome those, or have you overcome those? All right, that's a great question. What are the stumbling blocks? Okay, so I think for me, one of the most important uh, things to take it, I'm sorry, I keep, I keep kind of pivoting these to like multi-genre things, but uh, in this context, right, I came up in a very particular era of slam where the kind of dispossession and uh, general policy of silence from academic uh, institutions towards the instant, towards the like the form slam poetry, right? Mm-hmm. Towards the idea that like spoken word was somehow inherently uh, a different genre or just weaker in some way, shape or form. Also bred a lot of resentment among the communities that I first came up in uh, writing wise. Understandably so, because you know, for a lot of folks, especially like the people who were our mentors, this was their whole job. Like they had a backpack full of however many CDs. And if all of them, if, this, if the CDs in the backpack are not down to this particular point, my kid doesn't have a toy or my, I am not going to be able to also get guacamole with this burrito, which is going to be all I eat today. So it was very much a, like the distinction between the resources that were associated with like the grants and the fellowships that just didn't necessarily want to take account of or see what folks were doing in terms of like the the slam and like spoken world arena had like also like very real and very visceral effects on the folks who like raised us up. So there was kind of like this understanding of a dividing line that just simply didn't exist. <laughs> like the real dividing line was classism. Yes. Exactly. So when you're, but when you're young, you, kind of, in, you can, it can become very easy to internalize those because it was passed down to you by people who were more knowledgeable than you at the time. Right. So I think for me, one of the major pitfalls has been uh, just trying to consistently remember that like, wherever I feel like I don't have the range for this or I can't do this, it is almost always rooted back to that idea of like, I am a slam poet and this is, and part of maintaining loyalty to the places that you come from and the people who, you know, raised you and like first saw like and lifted up your work 
was to be that and only that. I'm like, that's not a thing that anyone who loves or cares about my work ever asked me to be. <laughs> and nobody who's still in conversation with my work and what I'm trying to do has ever asked that of me. So realistically, who am I serving by saying I can't be a screenwriter or I don't have the attention span or fiction, or in the case of like, you know, something that was foundational to all of my poetic growth was the decision uh, after I got into my MFA uh, at uh, University of Mississippi, where I worked with Derek Harrell, and that's where I met Amy, and that's where I met uh, Kia St. Layman, and I just, I cannot say enough about how much those three are, like everything that you have ever loved from me is something that they taught me I could be. Wow. Um, what a, I mean, that's that is that is an amazing uh, that's an amazing piece of of praise and love to keep with you. That's that's incredible. Oh um, yeah, and truly, who are you not to be all of those things? Yes. We we need you and your voice and everything that you are. Well, that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, off of that, I started like doing a. I spent I dedicated like a whole semester to just doing like form poems, and that ended up being kind of the premise of Refuse. And it was because I hadn't had ex real exposure to form poems, and like the one time that I kind of tried it out, they were like, "Oh, you know, like this is kind of like a page poet thing." And I'm like, "All right, well, I have half of those words in my title as well, so what's <laughs> up?" <laughs> I too have access to this printer and I probably have more points than you do. Awesome. So then kind of transitioning toward a close, what are those things right now in the world that will expand outside of poetry, obviously, because you have a love as we do for young adult literature. Um, what are those things that you are excited about right now um, and then what is coming up for you uh, that we should be excited about? Oh, yeah. I want to send a shout out to, uh, there's a We Are YA episode, uh, the podcast. Yeah. Toshi uh, Onyebuchi talking about just the general trajectory of everything that's going on with his work. And one of the things that he said in there was we're going through a bit of a cultural uh revolution in YA and like MG, like kid lit, however you want to draw the distinction, because uh, nobody can agree. But <laughs> that like, this is the first generation of creators who grew up on anime. And I think that part of what that can mean, right, is as we're watching middle grade and kid lit kind of grow up as a genre before our eyes. Uh, and I was able to kind of grow up in like the one of the like early heydays of that. And now I think that we've just, we're seeing such a huge expansion of like, not only what, uh, who is telling the stories, but what shape the stories can take as a result of that. I think that was ultimately always what I wanted. One of the things I loved uh, and that first drew me to slam and like made me fall back in love with the concept of writing was that people were coming from all over and they would be able to, you know, uh, Slam was great because people were often not just poets, they were bringing in the fact that they could sing or they were trying to utilize form. I mean, part of this is coming from college and people being like, I'm gonna write a poem in the form of a lab report. Or I'm gonna write a poem in the form of a <laughs> mathematical proof. Both of those were my uh, buddy, George Abraham, who would be an absolute joy for y'all to have on this podcast. 
Oh, George was an amazing guest on this. He was, yeah, he was one of the first few on here. He's incredible. George is, the, George is one of the great joys of my life. Um, truly and honestly, we got to be on the same team. It was one of the best experiences um, wow. of being on that team, was just getting a chance to work with George. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, I think that it just means that the shape of what these stories can be and the expansiveness of that. Now that we have these kind of formulas, you see this almost with like the history of television, right? Like things are very, form like there's a lot of things that are like, and not to say that that's bad, like there's a lot of shows that like, the reason that they're formulaic is because that formula works. <laughs> because they predicate, because they yes. founded it, they perfected yep. it. And as a result of people seeing that, okay, it seems like this is kind of nearing perfection, people are gonna have this, what else can we make? What else can we do? And I think that we're in a really wonderful moment for that kid lit wise. You look at the Kwame Mbalias, the Clarabella Ortegas, the Elizabeth Acevedo's, like there's just mm. so much. And those are just the people whose books you could buy right now. Right. In conversation with that, the homie H, uh, you'll know him as H.D. Hunter. Uh, if you look for his work, that dude is a genius. <laughs> He's a nice. legitimate genius to me. And I don't use that phrase very often at all anymore. Um, but in terms of like, because the kind of like roots of genius are like uh, the idea that is fleeting, right? Like it passes through right. you experience genius. You are not a genius. And so what I really mean is that every moment that I have spent in conversation with Hugh's work has felt like the touch of a God. Uh, so I'm very grateful for just like the era that is coming with all the wonderful people who I got to meet at Tin House uh, YA because the generation of books that we are experiencing now is incredible. The generation of books that we are going to experience from them is incredible. And all of the young people who are coming up on those stories, I mean, could you ask for a greater embarrassment of riches imagination-wise? I don't think so. So that's really exciting. Uh, and to answer the second part of your question in terms of what's coming up for me, uh, Pilar Ramirez. Hold on, let me shoot grab a copy of the book tonight. Don't mm -hmm. yell at me. She's not very well. She's actually very sweet. Um, but so this is a book. I got to hold it for the first time yesterday. Oh, uh, your book, baby. Yeah, yo. So Pilar Ramirez and the Escape from Zafa drops March 1st, 2022, Amazing. wherever books are sold and or in your local library. Okay. Uh, so that will be happening. There is a Pilar sequel in the works that Ooh. I think I'm free to say is coming out in 2023 and it is Pilar's first trip to the island. Um, oh, very cool. Say no more besides that there is a storm coming. Uh, so that's coming. And then the essay collection that I just turned in the manuscript for is uh, currently slated to be released in February of 2023. And that's called The Dead Don't Need Reminder. Wonderful. And that's coming Thank from the Pipe Books. That's so exciting. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today on TPQ20. We are so excited to dig into this YA book uh, and be on the Pilar adventure with, uh, with you. So thank you so much. And Thanks for taking the time, yo. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so We look forward so to uh, keeping in contact and see what comes up next. Have a Learn great day. Peace, Good homies. Peace. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Bye. Thank you for listening to TPQ20. Please like, review, and subscribe.